Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're not beginning a new sermon series. I wanted to, but I'm going to let you in on a little power struggle behind the scenes. You see, the calendar is kind of weird this year when it comes to Christmas and Advent. For those who aren't as familiar, Advent is the season where we prepare ourselves for Jesus' arrival. And in doing so, we remind ourselves that Jesus is going to return again. It's the weeks before Christmas, but this year, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday evening. So we aren't, this is all for everybody to know too, we aren't having Sunday morning services that day. We'll just have our Christmas Eve services, and it messes up the Advent schedule. So we will have our Saturday service for those who want that. So I said, well, why don't we just start Advent a week early to the staff, which would be today? And they said, no, you can't do that. And I said, why not? And the staff said, because the calendar says it starts next week. And I correctly said, calendars are made up. We just make this stuff up. Let's just change it. And they said, no, we are not starting Advent. I lost. So we aren't starting Advent. There's no decorations up. It'll all be next week. It'll all be next week. It'll look Christmassy. But you know what? They can't control the sermon. So this is basically an Advent sermon, okay? I win. I really, I really lost big time on that one, though. I'm a figurehead, whatever. So we are, though, beginning to look at the Gospel of Luke. E- each year for the last few years here at Stonebridge, we've set aside really half the year to look at one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now we are in Luke season. So between now and June, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke really closely. And I'm going to begin this morning with the genealogy from Luke. A couple of years ago, we were focused on Matthew, and we looked at Matthew, and I preached on the genealogy in Matthew, and I was pretty sure that for most of you, that was the first time you've heard a sermon preached on a genealogy. Now you get two. Lucky you. So the genealogies are just those sections where it's just a listing of this person begat this person, begat this person, begat this person, was a son of this person, the father of this person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Matthew and Luke each have a genealogy. So we're going to be looking at Luke's here. And they might sound really boring, and it kind of is, until you look at the details and realize that there's truths about who Jesus is and that these genealogies tell us how Matthew and Luke are trying to introduce us to Jesus. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. And I invite you to hear the word of God, however boring it might seem. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathet, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Jani, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Esli, son of Nagai, son of Math, son of Mattathias, son of Semin, son of Josek, son of Jodah, son of Joanon, son of Ressa, son of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, son of Neri, son of Melchi, son of Adi, son of Kosum, son of Elmadam, son of Ur, son of Joshua, son of Eliezer, son of Joram, son of Mathet, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Jonam, son of Eliakim, son of Mele, son of Mena, son of Mattatha, 
son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salah, son of Nashon, son of Aminadabad, son of Admin, son of Arni, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serug, son of Ru, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahalil, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I have no idea if those are correct, by the way. Just commit. Real quick, though, before I pray, it's kind of funny that in the middle of this is Arnie. You know, it's all these complicated names and there's, there's old Arnie over there. Anyways, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these gospels. We thank you for the good news that is in them. We thank you for the ways in which they introduce us to you. Because we know that through Jesus, we understand who you are. Through Jesus, we understand your love for us. Through Jesus, we understand your plan of salvation. So we thank you that the Gospels introduce us to you. And we ask that you speak to us now through these scriptures, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate them, and that we would understand what it is Luke was trying to show us, trying to tell us about you. So Lord, speak to us. We are listening. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. And I want to just remind us all about Gospels and what they are before we start looking specifically at Luke. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is called the third Gospel because it comes third in that order. Each of the Gospels, they want to introduce us to Jesus. And by and large, they actually have overwhelming agreement in their story about Jesus. But within that agreement... In the details, in the way they present Jesus to us, there's all sorts of disagreements that they have. They're all looking at Jesus from a different angle, trying to highlight a different aspect of them. And one of the things that tends to frustrate me is we as Christians today in our culture, we just kind of mash all the gospels up together. But each of the gospel writers wrote their gospel specifically. They have details that are important. A professor of mine once taught me what I think is a handy way of summarizing the differences between these different Gospels. It doesn't cover everything, but it is helpful. And I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. He said to imagine that each of the four Gospels is actually a church, a church building. And then he explained what each one would be like. He said the Gospel of Matthew, if it were a church building, It would be a large, wealthy, suburban church with a very large education building. He said that because we know that the community the Gospel of Matthew came from was wealthy. When Jesus tells his followers in Matthew to go out into the world and what they should bring with them, he mentions gold. So the people who wrote that, the people who were receiving that, they could take gold with them is the assumption. And there's other signs that it's wealthier in the Gospel of Matthew, that that church would be wealthier. But in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is the teacher of the law. That's the emphasis. He goes up on the Sermon on the Mount. He gives the longest speech in all the Gospels, and he does so as a teacher of the law. That's where the education building piece comes from. 
teaching, education, learning the law, that is central to the gospel of Matthew. That's how Matthew introduces us to Jesus. In the gospel of Mark, the church would be run down. It would be falling apart. When Jesus tells his followers in Mark to go out into the world, he just mentions something like copper, one of the lower metals, the less valuable coins that they can take with them because they didn't have a lot of money. But when you walked into the church, the people there would have this intensity about them. They'd be just a little bit off because the gospel of Mark is an intense gospel. It focuses on Jesus going immediately from place to place to place. And the stories in it, they have much more detail. It's like you're looking at Jesus with a close-up and the camera's always on his face really close up. So that's the gospel of Mark. The gospel of John would be a bunch of hippies in a house church holding hands singing Kubaya. That's the vibe in the gospel of John. It's focused on the spiritual stuff in John. But with the gospel of Luke, it would be about a middle-class church. I mean, Jesus talks about silver there. But what would define that church, its largest part of its church campus, would be the fellowship hall. In the gospel of Luke, everything revolves around banquets and feasts. The parables usually end with some sort of feast or a banquet. Key conversations Jesus has are had over the dinner table. The gathering together for, for fellowship, the gathering together for meals together is central to the gospel of Luke. And the gospel of Luke also focuses on invitation. More than even the other gospels, it has this universal invitation. Everybody is invited to this feast that is found in Jesus. No matter who you are, you are invited into that feast. So that's the gospel of Luke. And I know I'm not supposed to play favorites, but I just have to be honest. Luke's my favorite gospel. And the other ones are great too. It doesn't mean they're bad or anything like that. This is the one though that for me, the, the message of it, the way it's written, I tend to just connect with. I think Luke is the best writer of the gospel writers. If you read it in Greek, he has the largest vocabulary by far, which is kind of frustrating to read it in Greek. It's the hardest one to read in Greek. And he also has these fancy little grammatical constructions that don't come through in English. But Luke was more trained as a writer than the other gospel writers. And you can see that coming through, I think, in the way the stories are told and the way the details are there. So Luke is my favorite of the Gospels. And what I like, too, is that Matthew and Luke have this interesting relationship. See, both Matthew and Luke most likely were written after the Gospel of Mark, but before the Gospel of John. And scholars debate over which came first between Matthew and Luke, which one is written down first. But both of them are basically rewrites of the Gospel of Mark. About a quarter of the Gospel of Matthew is just the Gospel of Mark repurposed and restructured. And about a third of the Gospel of Luke is just the Gospel of Mark repurposed and restructured. And Luke tells us he sat down to write his Gospel because some things were missing from the Gospels that were out there. So Matthew and Luke both saw Mark's gospel and said, there's more to the story. There's things I need to add that people are missing from just Mark alone. But then Matthew and Luke regularly don't agree with each other. They are the only two gospels that have what's called the infancy stories or the birth narratives of Jesus. 
Mark and John just begin when Jesus is already an adult, but Matthew and Luke felt like we needed a little bit of backstory. So in that, they're similar. But in the details of how they introduce us to Jesus when he's young, they don't really agree on much. Matthew focuses on Joseph. Matthew tells us the story of Jesus' birth through Joseph's eyes. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream and says, don't send Mary away because she's pregnant with the Son of God. That's how Matthew tells the story. It's through Joseph. Luke tells the story through Mary's eyes. Mary is the central character. Mary is the one who speaks regularly. Mary is focused here. Matthew doesn't connect John the Baptist and Jesus as family members. They're just separate. But Luke says that they're relatives, that Mary and John's mother Elizabeth are are relatives. You can see there's these little differences there. But where Matthew and Luke don't agree the most is in the genealogies. They're the only two gospels that have the genealogies, the list of names that I just read. And their genealogies don't match up. In a number of ways, they don't match up. And I don't know exactly how to reconcile that. Maybe one of them was intending to not be historical, but to be literary or to just teach theological truths. Maybe both of them were. I I don't know how you reconcile these two genealogies that seem irreconcilable. Jesus can't follow the line of Matthew and also follow the line of Luke. So I don't know how to reconcile that, but I think that's actually beside the point. Because what we do know is that each of the Gospels is trying to introduce us to Jesus. And we can learn things about Jesus from each of their approaches and how they do that with their genealogies. So, if you were to go and to look at Matthew's genealogy, it begins the Gospel of Matthew. It's at the very beginning there. Matthew 1.1 says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how Matthew introduces us to Jesus. And then through his genealogy, Matthew focuses on the line of the kings of Israel. Matthew is very concerned with Jesus being a son of David. That's right there before son of Abraham even. And he wants you to understand Jesus is a king. Now, we just spent the last few months looking at King David and talking about the kings of Israel and how really the whole experiment of kings was an utter disaster. So I think what Matthew's focused on here is that in the way David united Israel originally, Jesus is going to reunite Israel. I think that's what Matthew is focused on. That's why Matthew does that. David is very, very important in the gospel of Matthew. In fact, the whole genealogy is structured with three sections of 14 names, and it leads up to David, and then to the exile, and then to Jesus. It's all structured around David in the Gospel of Matthew. Luke is far less concerned with David. When you noticed it, when I read that, there was no real structure to Luke's genealogy. There was no markers in between it. It was just son of, 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 over and over and over again. There were no breaks that Matthew has in his genealogy. Luke brushes right past David. He does mention Jesus was a son of David, but he doesn't focus on it. He goes right past it. And Luke also goes right past Abraham as well. And Luke traces Jesus' lineage 
all the way back to Adam. And then it's that last line that I think is the most important for how Luke is trying to introduce us to Jesus. Luke says that Jesus is the son of Adam, then concludes with the son of God. That's Luke's focus. Jesus is a son of David. He, he will be a king in some sense of the word. But more than that, he's the son of God. This is the son of God breaking into the world. This is the son of God becoming human like us. Here is the son of God, Luke is telling us. That's Luke's focus. And I think Luke wants us to understand something that is so central to the gospel and to the truth of it. Everything changed when the Son of God was born. The whole world changed when the Son of God was born. Luke isn't as focused on Jesus being like an earthly king. Luke is focused on the Son of God breaking into the world. And I think this is important. I think it's important that we recognize the differences between Matthew and Luke. That they are introducing us to Jesus in different ways. Both of these ways are true. But we can't lose sight of what Luke is trying to teach us here. I'm going to warn you, I'm about to go on a rant, okay? And for those of you who collect nativity scenes, let me just apologize in advance. I know a lot of people do. If there is one thing in this world that drives me crazy when we get to Christmas time, it is nativity scenes. I can't stand it, okay? And it's just me. I'm a curmudgeon. I know. I'm like two steps away from yelling at you all to get off my lawn. Whatever. <laughs> but here's where it comes from. Look, I got a picture of one here. Let's throw this up. Look at that. It's beautiful, right? No, it's an abomination, people. It's an utter abomination, okay? And, and here's, here's some of the reasons why. Um, first off, those magi there to the right, those weren't there in the Bible. They're not there at the birth of Jesus. They go, they're in the Gospel of Matthew only. Matthew's the only one that mentions them. And they go to Jesus' house, likely a couple years after he was born. So those shepherds that are from the Gospel of Luke, they would have never seen the magi. They would have never connected. But every year, we just throw it all together. Like it's a big mixing pot of biblical images. <laughs> Here's my other thing that bothers me about this kind of depiction of the nativity scene, and, and most of them do this also. Look, my wife and I, were expecting our third child. Um, we've been through this twice now. Nobody is this calm when a child is born. <laughs> Nobody is this clean when a child is born. It's so much messier than this. Like Joseph would be hyperventilating in the corner, okay? Maybe that's what I did. I don't know. We'll see. But nobody is this calm. And here's why I think it matters. Matthew and Luke were specific in how they described these scenes. They were trying to teach us specific things. And when you just mash it all together, you lose their voice. You lose what they were trying to teach us. And it becomes this bland overly calm, overly peaceful event that doesn't really tell us what the Bible is trying to tell us. Because the truth is, when the Gospel of Luke describes the Son of God breaking into the world, it is anything but calm and peaceful. It is anything but calm and peaceful. Those shepherds that I mentioned, they're there in the Gospel of Luke. And the way their story plays out, they're off in the uh, fields doing their job, and it's evening time. 
and an angel appears to them. If you think an angel appearing to you in the Bible is calm and peaceful, you need to read much closer. Angels are terrifying. They're described as having like eyeballs all over their entire body, some of them. Some of them are just pure fire beings. But everyone who sees an angel, nearly everyone in the Bible who sees an angel is terrified of them. And the shepherds are no exception. The Gospel of Luke says that the shepherds were terrified in this moment. And then it's not just one angel that appears to them. The sky opens up and there's a chorus of angels. This is terrifying. It is not calm. It is not peaceful. The angel has to say to them, don't be scared, but go and realize what God is doing. Luke is announcing that the Son of God has broken into this world, that everything has changed, that everything is going to be different. That's why it's important for us, keep your nativity scenes up if you want to, but recognize it's not biblically correct, and recognize that when the Son of God was born, the whole world was turned upside down. Everything changed in that moment. God's plan of salvation began in earnest. God's love was expressed in that moment. That's what Luke is trying to help us understand. When Jesus was born, he wasn't just another earthly king. This was the son of God. This was something unique. This was something different. And what I think that means for each and every one of us is every single one of us can look at our own lives and think of something where you need it to change. Or you can look at the world and see something in this world that we are desperate for it to change. When we think about the Son of God breaking into the world, we have to recognize God has already addressed that. We're seeing the effects played out, but when the Son of God was born, everything in this world changed. God's work of redeeming, restoring, recreating the world, it all began in that moment. And then when Jesus went to the cross and was resurrected, it was completed. We're just waiting for the fulfillment of it now. Whatever it is that you're longing for, whatever change you think you need that the world needs, God is already at work on it and you can have hope and have faith in that. Everything changed when the Son of God was born. So I invite you to reflect on what it is that you are desperate for change for. What it is that you are bringing before God over and over again. And have hope and have faith and be encouraged that God is at work in that also. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that all those years ago, you broke into this world. You became one of us. And we thank you that in that moment, everything did change. Your love broke into this world. As we reflect this season on your arrival, and as we long for the second coming, we ask, Lord, that you remind us of how much you changed everything. Give us faith. Give us encouragement. Help us to hold on to the hope we have in you. And Lord, help us to share that hope as well. We know that we are surrounded with a world that is in need of hope, that is in need of faith.
your sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. No, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Lay down your burden Lay down your shame All who are broken Lift up your face Oh, wanderer, come home You're not too far Lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless and all those who stray. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary And rest that endures Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't cure Sorrow that heaven can heal.